Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and got a very special guest this week, uh, old colleague and, and friend of mine, Derek Van Riper from The Athletic. Derek, how you doing? Doing great, James. Thanks for having me on. Great to talk to you. Yeah, uh, likewise. Uh, always love chatting with you, and um, you know, I know you're, you're busy this time of year. I'm busy. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, obviously, you're doing a, a ton of media, so I really appreciate you. Uh, doing one um, the Rotowire podcast that uh, you used to be on uh, pretty much every episode of. Uh, so interesting topic today. I, I'm really excited about this. I wanted to do uh, under the radar hitters kind of with, you know, guys you could pay attention to over the next couple of weeks, but also guys to kind of keep an eye on and, and keep in mind for 2024 and obviously under the radar, sort of a, a hat tip to, to you and Nando and Ian and, and the great pod you guys used to do. Um, and so we're with these hitters, we're going to go kind of position by position, each give a hitter that, that we like who might be sort of under the radar. And, um, you know, I think in many cases, these will be players who, you know, some analyst or, or a group of analysts might tout throughout the offseason, but I'm sort of we're kind of going for guys that aren't going to really see their price tag sort of skyrocket throughout draft season. So kind of like guys who might've been going sort of in the Ha-Sung Kim type of range from this year. Um, so I'm excited to, to see which, which guys you have pinpointed Derek. Um, how about we, uh, how about we start at catcher? Uh, sure. Very, very, uh, I think it's the most interesting position because um, there's, as many kind of viable options, I think, as ever, but I do still think there is probably a, a steep um, kind of curve of when it kind of levels off from the, the truly elite guys. Uh, who is your under the radar catcher uh, that you're eyeing up for, for 2024? Yeah, I hope he qualifies as under the radar, but Patrick Bailey, I think everyone knows how great of a defender he is, right? And that's, that's a great floor for playing time in fantasy. Like, I think, when I first started playing, I had this idea that oh, defense doesn't really matter. I don't care about defense. And the longer I played, the more I realized you couldn't be more wrong about that. Defense actually matters a lot. Playing time is a huge part of our game. Defense drives playing time, especially up the middle. So I think what I like about Patrick Bailey is that compared to a lot of guys that are going to be catcher twos in 15-team mixed leagues, which I think is exactly where he's going to be, Bailey should play more. A lot of those guys end up in timeshares, but Bailey could have an 80 90% share of playing time. He could be a workhorse behind the plate. 
and he's actually got pretty good skills as a hitter. Some of the underlying numbers. Got an 11% barrel rate this year. Puts him in the 75th percentile among catchers. Uh, clearly, this was a position of need for the Giants ever since Buster Posey retired. He switch hits, so there's a pretty good like matchup floor for him there. You're not necessarily going to lose him against lefties or anything like that. So uh, doesn't necessarily jump off the page in terms of what he's done as a rookie. He's just more of like held his own and done a great job with everything the Giants care about. But I think we could see a step forward from Bailey. I mean, I feel a lot similar to Bailey right now as I did about Jonah Heim in previous uh, draft and hold seasons where you could see the playing time floor was really high and there were some underlying skills to cling to. I think that's exactly where I'm at with Bailey right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. I think you, you nailed it with the the playing time. Um, you know, obviously he had just had a, a crazy heater at the plate to sort of start his big league career. Um, you know, kind of, kind of leveled off, but I, I think you're right on point. The playing time gives him a, a really nice uh, floor at that position uh, because of the defense. Um, my catcher is a guy that is probably the biggest stretch here in terms of like, um, like I would expect him to have the highest ADP probably of the players I'm going to mention. Um, but Bo Naylor uh, with the guardians. Uh, I just, this is kind of like a ceiling uh, play for me. Like I just, I see, I think he'll get drafted as a catcher too. Um, I think he'll probably have a higher ADP than Bailey, but um, I just, I think he's got catcher one upside uh, as early as, as next season. Uh and I think the the stat cast data, I think it's it's kind of it's okay, but it's not so good, uh, at least so far in the big leagues that I see him really getting pushed up. Um, like I, I don't think he's going to be going sort of in like the William Contreras range from this past year. I think he's probably more in like the early two hundred something like that. Um, we'll see though, uh, because he does bring speed to the table. Like he he could steal double digit bases next year and. People will be aware of that. Uh, I think he, you know, he's shown that he's got a, a ton of power, um, you know, 206 ISO. But uh, what he did at, at AAA before getting the call this year was was extremely impressive in that department. Uh, we obviously have the minor league hard hit data at Rotowire. He had a 34.7% hard hit rate, a 12% soft rate at AAA, which is pretty elite, especially for a catcher. And uh, 81% contact rate this year against big league pitching. I don't really see um, the downside there with the hit tool for Naylor where he could lose the job next year. And he's a, he's a good enough defender that I think they would still kind of put up with him, even if he's just treading water. So um, not a, not a super under the radar name, but I just think the upside relative to where he will get drafted um, makes him noteworthy. Yeah. I think the speed on top of that power gives him a clear path to become single catcher relevant immediately next season i mean he's kind of fringy for that already in some cases if you're a 12 team single catcher league you could probably justify it because of the different ways Naylor can contribute biggest thing for me with him he's cut that k rate down you go back to 2021 he first got to double a i think there were a lot of swing and miss concerns he's really done a good job erasing that over the last two seasons and the underlying numbers from this debut this year have been really good i know he showed up for eight plate appearances or something at the end of last season but this is a, a nice run of playing time that Bo Naylor's put together this year. I was surprised the Guardians waited as long as they did to give him this share of the role. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was too. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously they're 
an incredibly cheap organization. Um, <laughs> so that, that probably factored into it a little bit. Uh, and I, I look forward to hopefully having uh, at least a couple teams with the, the Naylor brother stack going mm. next yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, okay, so speaking of uh, Josh Naylor, first base, um, this was actually probably my toughest position um, to kind of pinpoint for this exercise just because there's obviously just the, the best of the best guys. Um, and then it just kind of is sort of a, a steady, like you get like 20 options that it's, it's kind of hard to um, pick a, a guy that you're actually notably high on, but uh, who'd you go with that at the first base position? Yeah. First base is one of those positions in draft and hold where I, I used to try and wait it out and get four or five guys that were eligible. And I figured I would cobble together cheap power, usually with some, some batting average downside and I'd be fine. And I don't, like that strategy anymore but uh, like you i struggled a little bit with this position how about a, a post-hype sleeper how about matt mervis I and mean, he's been putting up Ooh. pretty steady numbers at triple a and he's gonna have to earn that roster spot in the spring we have a lot of questions about what the cubs do in free agency and be a trade but it was more crowded this season with trey mancini and eric hosmer there there were some swing and miss problems from mervis in the brief time that he was up i just i feel like they pulled the plug really quickly on him for a guy that was hitting the ball hard when he was connecting, he was 88th percentile in barrel rate among first basemen. I mean, that's really nice to see at a position where plenty of guys have pop. So maybe the Cubs have already told us something and how they feel about Matt Murs by not giving him more of a chance this year, even as a part-time guy. Um, but if they're not going to use him, they're probably not going to hold him either, right? So you can see him ending up on a, a, a rebuilding roster where someone has 450 or 500 plate appearances available so I think part of this is just buying into some of the hype that, that people were, were selling going into this past draft season with Matt Mervis. And he's a guy that I had absolutely nowhere in 2023, but because he'll cost next to nothing, I could see him ending up on at least a few draft and hold teams and uh, maybe some monoleague teams as well. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely in play um, for those formats. Um, I, do, I do just kind of worry about the way the Cubs have treated him, essentially, where they have not really made it a priority at all to get him um, playing time. And obviously he didn't take advantage of his, his short uh, audition earlier this year, but um, you know, I was actually kind of looking at a, at a comp with him a week ago and you'll, you'll remember this name. Um, what do you think about AJ Reed as a Matt Mervis comp? That could be a perfect <laughs> comp because uh, I, for a brief time thought AJ Reed was just going to, get 450 plate appearances, show he could hit big league pitching and have a nice career. And it didn't work out. So yeah, that, that could be, and could be right on. I went back and I looked at AJ Reed's numbers and like kind of compared them to Matt Mervis. And um, I was high. I was very high on AJ Reed um, relative to just what normal scouts felt about AJ Reed. And uh, I was very high on Matt Mervis um, similarly relative to, how normal scouts felt about Matt Mervis. And I went back and looked at the numbers and it's like, I don't even, I don't even hate my process with either guy just based on how dominant they were in the minors. But that's what the term quad a hitter basically means. Right. It's like, mm. you look at the numbers at triple a and it's just like, well, this guy's good. Like what, what, what more do we need to see? And then it just doesn't carry over. So like, I do think there is, there is that risk there with Mervis that he's just, um, you know, because guys like that, it's not like they get 300, 400 plate appearances to kind of figure it out, right? Like if you're just a negative defensively, 
So I, I am open to having him on some draft and hold teams, but uh, really interested to sort of see what the Cubs do in the off season and just sort of how blocked he is heading into to 2024. Yeah. What's interesting too, with Mervis, I just looked back at, at AJ Reed for a second and AJ Reed didn't hit fastballs. Matt Mervis hasn't hit fastballs during his brief time in the big leagues. That's a pretty big flaw for a hitter to overcome. So it kind of comes back to how much do you need to see? How much sample do you need to see where you believe that that is a skills flaw that can't be overcome? I guess I'm arguing in this case, I'd like to see a little bit more than we've seen from Mervis, but that's the big red flag so far in those underlying numbers and, and why that K rate is probably so high. Yeah. I'd, I'd love for them to trade him to like the nationals or something. Um, mm-hmm. Just give him away basically um, just to kind of give him that runway. But uh, yeah, um, not, not sure he'll get the opportunity in Chicago, but I, I do like it as a, as a deep name. Uh, so my, my first baseman is going to be Ryan Noda. Uh you know, he'll be drafted higher than Mervis because he's probably <laughs> got a everyday job. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's parts of the profile that you could nitpick with, but, um, you know, the guy's just, he's an on-base machine and he's not going to hit for a very high average, but, uh, I think the A's are, are open to playing him every day and, um, you know, he hits the ball really hard. I just, I think, he's going to be a compiler. Basically. I, I don't really see him falling out. Like I think worst case scenario, he's, he's on the strong side of a platoon, but I just don't really see him falling out of that role. And I think he can probably get you 20 plus homers and uh, he'll just compile uh, enough counting stats to be kind of a, an okay corner infield option and maybe a nice sort of backup option. If you're, first first baseman gets injured yeah yeah i think that makes sense i mean where he'll hit in that lineup probably higher than he'd hit just about anywhere else playing time share should be significant and uh, gets away with the really high k rate because the eye is very good draws a ton of walks and clearly that's something that can be valued enough to keep him in the lineup on a at least a semi-regular basis okay so second base uh for me it really kind of opened up uh with these middle infield spots um a lot of options here. Uh, where'd you go for uh, an under-the-radar second baseman? Yeah, I just love guys that spent a lot of time at AAA this year. Uh, I went Miguel Vargas for second base. I, I spent 50 games there already this year. And I'm just convinced that back in the spring, you know, we had the World Baseball Classic, so a lot of teams had guys that were missing. The Dodgers probably did a disservice by playing Miguel Vargas as much as they did in Cactus League when he had that thumb injury. It's the kind of injury that I feel like you can aggravate repeatedly. You start a season with it. I know with Vargas, there's still questions as to where exactly he's going to fit defensively. And those questions aren't going to go away between now and at least the start of spring training, right? A ton can change with this Dodgers roster between now and then, but it's got second base eligibility. We've seen them move him around a little bit. So you could pick up more positions in season. I always like trying to target players like that and draft and hold. You don't necessarily have to have two or three positions when I draft you, but if you play enough spots and you could end up with two or three by the end of the first half, that carries a ton of extra weight in my uh, later round process. Um, and I think the thing that I liked about Vargas too, is when we saw him in the big leagues, he was making good swing decisions, a 24.3% O swing percentage. That to me yeah. is a guy that has a really good eye at the plate. That's in line with everything we've seen from him really throughout his time in the minors. He can run a little bit. Um, so just a lot of ways he could make value if the playing time is there. That's kind of the, the key thing that's probably suppressing his 
his price and that's why I'm in. But how much do you think the injury has lingered throughout the year for Vargas? I know I think you were pretty high on Vargas coming yeah. into the year. Do you still believe because of the injury, given some of the things he's done well? Yeah, I, I think he's uh, – I mean, he might be the best guy to buy low on in Dynasty right now. Uh, I think the the 2024 thing, you know, like it always comes down to playing time, plate appearances. So it just – it kind of depends where he's going um, because I just – you know, we've kind of done this before with like Gavin Lux mm -hmm. where it's just – you just can't like assume – okay, like the Dodgers are going to give this guy um, the job, you know, like they, they just have so many good options. They've always got just, just a loaded farm system at all levels, at all positions, you know, they could sign someone that we're not even thinking of. So the playing time in the short term is really my biggest question with Vargas. Uh, I think you, you nailed it with the, the injury. Um, the swing decisions were, excellent as you said you just kind of light on impact um but i i think in the end i think the hit tool is still at least plus long term and um i do think there will be a lot of years with multi-position eligibility there so um, miguel vargas second base only uh, heading into next year um okay my second baseman is uh leover piguero uh with the Pirates. Uh, he will also be eligible at shortstop next year. Uh, Piguero barely spent any time at AAA uh, this year, but uh, I think he was really unlucky in the minors, um, but still put up impressive power speed uh, numbers. I think he's got across AA, AAA, and the big leagues this year, he's got 20 homers and 25 steals. Uh, you know, I think the you look at that Pirates depth chart. We we kind of know O'Neill Cruz is going to be a, a big part of everything. Brian Hayes. Um, so it just kind of leaves that second base spot. And I think Piguero is clearly the best option at second base for these guys, um, at least until Tamar Johnson is ready. But that probably won't be until at least twenty twenty five. So I think there's like when I'm, when I'm taking kind of late or sort of mid two hundreds, maybe early three hundreds middle infielders, I really want there to be, um, you know, a chance at double digit homers, double digit steals. And I think Piguero clearly offers that. Uh, like I, I think 20 homers and 15 steals is kind of like a, a fair projection for him uh, over a full season's worth of playing time. And um, I just think he's he's really impressed me this year. I was kind of iffy on him coming into this year. I didn't didn't love his 2021. All right, I didn't love his his 2022, but um, I just think he improved kind of across the board as a hitter this year. Uh, hits the ball uh, surprisingly hard. You know, I think there's probably like a reputation there that he's more of kind of a, a light hitting, uh, good defensive middle infielder, but. Um, I think there's there's more juice there offensively than than people give him credit for. The big thing I'd, I'd like to see is him cut the ground ball rate a little bit. He was 50% ground balls in the big leagues this year, but uh, I like a lot uh, that is also in Piguero's profile for for next year.
Yeah, and it seems like he's he's got the approach where if it's a ball he can pull, he's going to launch it, hit it for power, and if it's away, he's going to just kind of slap it. Like he can do both things really well. So I think that makes him you know, less of a, a batting average liability than a lot of younger guys that that strike out as much as he has so far. And at the speed, man, I, I think the, even if it doesn't work out power wise, if he's short of being a twenty homer player next year, he could steal twenty five or thirty bases. That's in the range, I think, with the the wheels that he has. So there's a ton of ways for that to go right. I do think you're seeing a little bit of a, a stratification on that depth chart. You're starting to see the guys that the Pirates are going to rely more on next year, and Piguero should be one of them. So I think that's a great pull. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, th- that's the type of guy that it, I could see just the uncertainty in the market just leading to me having a lot of shares of him. Um, and he he's a he hasn't been so good in the big leagues that I, I think enough people will be on the bandwagon. So... Um, all right, let's head to a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, talk about a couple under-the-radar shortstops for next season. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all the heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10 one being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for a whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now you can get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. All right, back with Derek Van Riper here. We're going position by position and giving some under-the-radar position players heading into the offseason. All right, Derek, shortstop, where'd you go here? It's another one of those positions where I feel like the the players that break into the league you know, that you expect to be good are highly coveted prospects for the most part. And I struggled a little bit to find a shortstop eligible player that I felt was truly under the radar. So I present to you by far the worst player that I'm going to talk about on the show today. <laughs> at, least the one, at least the worst player I plan to talk about on the show today. <laughs> Gabriel Arias in Cleveland. Oh. And my assumption is that Arias is probably going to be someone you can get in the last 10 rounds of a 50-round draft and hole because he's been in the big leagues. He hasn't done a whole lot with that playing time. I don't think people look at him and see clear and obvious upside. As I was talking about earlier with Miguel Vargas, you know, the ability to add more positions in season is here, but you're also going to start with more. He's not just a shortstop. You could end up with a guy who is shortstop, first base, and outfield eligible. You love being able to get corner, middle, and outfield all from one player. Those players are so nice to have once injuries, demotions, all those things that happen over the course of the season wreak some havoc on your roster. Uh, So here's what I like about Arias. He's a good defender at multiple positions. He does run well, and he has raw power. The question is about the hit tool. Is he going to make enough contact to be more than a bench player? Uh, We're seeing a pretty high K rate so far. It's a 33% K rate there's a very good chance he doesn't have a position to call his own when spring training begins. So that's probably going to keep the price down throughout all of draft season. And you know, the surprising thing to me is that they're not playing Brian Rocchio at shortstop right now. They're playing Arias at that spot. So I don't know what's going on in Cleveland as far as that decision goes, but 
they like Arias enough to at least play him late in the season and get a sense for what he might be able to offer uh, next season. Some interesting numbers in the minors, too. He's been able to tap into that power consistently. He's been young for the level. A lot of places he's played along the way. Um, the only real threat as far as like another player that can play a bunch of spots that might not be that far away is probably Juan Brito, right? And Juan Brito could be a part of this roster in 2024. And if the Guardians like Brito more than Arias, then he could be an afterthought, more of an up-and-down guy. But there's actually a little bit to like here just in terms of the versatility and the raw tools, just a question of whether or not he's going to kind of round it out and improve enough with the hit tool. And the organization gives me some pause, right? And this is a player that if the Rangers had Gabriel Arias, you could see him pulling the Ezekiel Duran trick where it's like, hey, Donnie Ecker and this, this group of hitting coaches made this guy a lot better. I don't know if Cleveland necessarily has that staff on hand to make the most of a player like this, but at the price, I'm, I'm willing to see how 2024 plays out for him. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh my gosh. There you go. No, <laughs> I'm here again. I was just muted that whole time. Um, <laughs> I was trying to message you on there. I was like, I couldn't hear uh, anything. Jeez. Yeah, I had a bunch of airplanes flying by um and so i was muting it during during your conversation <laughs> uh so i just broke down uh, for about two minutes what i love about zach netto dvr nice um, <laughs> so i i think he's just he's not under the radar of course because he's a first round pick uh who was rushed to the big leagues everyone knows who he is especially everyone who plays dynasty and he was fairly productive but I just love what he did um, in like, I think he, he exceeded my expectations and I, I like Neto, um, but I just thought he was rushed so quickly that it wouldn't have been surprising at all if he had just kind of fallen flat on his face. But uh, he got to the, the, the power um, kind of right away. Uh, I, the fact that he was kind of on a, a 20 homer pace as a rookie is, is really impressive to me and strikeouts weren't a problem. Clearly that's his job uh, on the depth chart. Um, and I just don't think he, I don't think he did enough this season to be sort of a hot commodity in drafts next year, even though he will get drafted, um, I'm sure in, in plenty of leagues. 
Yeah. Do you think Neto will be treated at the highest end, similar to the way Jeremy Pena was treated this past draft season? It's like half a season. So I don't think it could reach that level, but it's like the way I feel about Neto right now is similar to the way I felt about Pena, where there was a lot to like. I know Pena had a couple injuries last year that maybe dragged the overall performance down a little bit. Uh, but that power speed combo, you know, not falling on his face, flying through the minors as fast as he did. I, I think people will overlook the ceiling a little bit with Neto. They're going to see too much of a floor player and not enough of a potential star, which I think is a reasonable ceiling to put on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as early as next season, he could go 2020. Um, and he's just, he's not going to get drafted like that at all. I think he he'll get drafted as sort of a, a mixed league middle infielder. Um, like Bryce but, Stott maybe this year? Yeah, I think he could be kind of in that range, but I, I think he's got more uh, offensive impact potential maybe than Stott, fantasy impact potential. You know, Stott just stole so many bases that, um, you know, I'm not projecting Neto to steal 25 bases or anything like that next year, but uh just when you can get as many of these guys as you can kind of in the mid to late rounds where, you know, getting 40 combined homers and steals is in play. Um, you know, you might hit on like a, a Hassan Kim type of guy who really exceeds expectations or, or even a Bryson Stott. So I just, I look at the playing time with Neto and the five category spread of potential production. Uh, just, just a lot to like there. I'm really interested to see where his ADP falls. Yeah, I wonder what's left of that supporting cast by the time we get to opening day in, in 2024. I mean, that that opening day roster, I it's I mean, who 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 knows what that's gonna look like? <laughs> yeah, it's like you, there's like three guys you could say with confidence that you expect to be there, right? I mean, between Neto, Shanuel, and Logan O'Hoppy, that's it. Everything else is just up for grabs as far as you know, Mike Trout possibly getting traded, Shohei Otani leaving, tons of moving parts. Yeah, and, and I didn't really um, – I, I was muted when I was reacting to your Gabriel Arias uh, pick, but, um, you know, I love love his defense, love him for draft and holds. Um, just not uh, – you know, I share your same concerns about, like, where are they going to give the at-bats to next year or who are they going to give the at-bats to next year. Juan Brito is definitely a good name to bring up for draft and hold purposes, especially – uh, just kind of seems like his bat is is pretty much ready for for the big leagues. And unlike the typical Guardians middle infielder, he's not going to bring a, a ton of value defensively. Um, most of their guys are just kind of light hitting guys that are going to really pick it. But uh, Brito definitely a good name to, to to bring up there. And Arias <laughs> love that call for for draft and holds. Um, okay, so third base, where are you going to go? I'll go to Oakland. You know, I'll go Jordan Diaz. The A's may be pretty yeah. nervous because to begin the season, there were multiple instances. I probably even slacked Melissa Lockard one day and said, why doesn't Jordan Diaz play on this team? Like, if all the things you can do with playing time, if you're Oakland, how do you not figure out where Diaz can be hidden defensively and how good of a hitter he is against big league pitching? Finally, since you know, the calendar flipped to July. I think he's had maybe 12 games that he didn't start in the second half. So he's been pretty much a regular for them over the course of the second half. They're playing him at third right now because Zach Galoff's become the, the regular at second. Uh, he's played more than 20 games at both second and third already this season, though. So there's already 
baked in floor in terms of some position eligibility versatility going to next season. Diaz's skill set in some ways reminds me of Isak Paredes. There might be a little more swing and miss in Diaz's game, but as far as like his fantasy appeal, you're not really expecting much in terms of stolen bases. You do have the defensive concerns being the thing that could eat away at playing time. But I think he's just one of those guys that, as, as our old scout friends would say, he flat out hits. Like That's Jordan Diaz. This guy's going to hit. If he plays, he's going to hit. That's a team that needs guys that can contribute even in secondary roles. So uh, I would also kind of put this to you as more of an open question. Like, Do you see anybody else coming through the system who could be a major threat to Diaz's playing time? Or is it really just Diaz versus himself as far as keeping a share of an everyday role? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is, you know, Daryl Hernandez. Um, he probably plays shortstop for them. Um, yeah, I, I think they'd play him over Nick Allen and use Nick Allen as just more of a utility infielder. Yeah, they've they've given Nick Allen his chances. Like, I think they've been fair to Nick Allen. Um, I know Melissa loves him, and you know, he's. He's the type of player like any scout's going to gravitate towards, but I think he's kind of shown in the big leagues that he just doesn't have the bat to be a, an everyday guy. So I think uh, Hernandez probably is at shortstop. Um, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to really rush Jacob Wilson, but I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't think he he's up early enough to really affect Diaz's playing time in the first half next year. So. Um, I like that call. Uh, I love the idea of kind of comparing him to Isak Paredes. The one thing Paredes has kind of figured out that Diaz still needs to figure out is, is the launch angle aspect to everything. Uh, Diaz with a 52% ground ball rate this year. If he could just get it into that, that Paredes zone, then I think he he could basically be a carbon copy, but um, that he's got a he's got a ways to go to kind of cut the ground balls enough to to get to there. But I, I still really like that call. Um, like you said, he he flat out hits. Um, okay, so my pick here. Uh, this is kind of again. This is sort of like an relative to ADP. I think he'll be under the radar. He's not a. You know, everyone knows who he is, but uh, Jordan Westberg with the Orioles, uh, he's going to be eligible at second base as well. But I think third base, getting a guy that could steal 10 to 15 bases, um, I think that's really appealing. And I think, you know, the slash line, the the swing decisions, the the defense, the athleticism, it's all pretty impressive. I think people will like it but I just don't think people are going to be aggressive with Westberg and drafts because of how much uh, that park suppresses righty power. And we we've seen it in his production as a rookie. He's got just three home runs. Um, you know, I think he true talent wise, I think Westberg in like a neutral park could be a, a 25 homer hitter. Um, so just, it's just a question of, of where the power is next year. Um, do you think that is this too kind of non under the radar? Like, do you, do you see Westberg getting drafted like in the top 200 in, in mixed league drafts? Probably on that borderline, but yeah, I don't, I don't think people are going to be falling all over themselves to 
get him in the first 10 rounds at the very least, right? You could see, depending on what happens, it's another team where you look and say, who's who's here? Like, they need more pitching. They've got so many position players. Who gets flipped? Maybe there's some playing time concerns in the early part of the offseason that keep people from uh, pushing that ADP up too high. But the quality of the contact has been there. I think with Westberg, the questions we had about swing and miss going back to double A last year, those have really faded. You come up for a third of a big league season and post the lowest K rate you've had as a professional. Like that's uh, it's a pretty big skills growth for, for a guy seeing big league pitching for the first time. And it's kind of like, you know, we take all of the the plate skills we're seeing at AAA this year with the ABS system. They, they It's hard to buy into anything you see. Improved K rates, improved walk rates. It's really noisy. But when you think about how that gap between AAA and the big leagues is probably as wide as it's been in a long time, seeing skills growth from someone debuting, that means a lot. That could even be a little bit underrated right now. And I think Westberg's done that. Um, love that he runs a little bit too. There's so many ways for this guy to, to make value. Uh, it's easy to see the Orioles, even in that park, being a, a top 10 offense again next year because of the core that they have in place. So I always like that too. Team context continues to carry a lot of weight for me. I just want guys that are in situations where they can play every day, but they also have plenty of guys that can help prop up the run and RBI counts with them. Yeah. And you, you have, you basically have a, a true shortstop who you're never going to be, or you're rarely going to be playing at at shortstop um, and is going to be a, a plus defender at third base and second base. And so I just, I kind of look at the, the way the pieces are kind of starting to sort of clearly fit long-term for the Orioles. I, I really like Westberg's playing time outlook next year. So it's just kind of, you know, not really worried about the speed, not worried about the hit tool. It's just sort of, I don't know, would you go over, over, under, 15 homers for him over a full season next year. I'd probably go over. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, park's, the park's tough, but he, he hits the ball hard. Like, this is this is legitimately like a good hitter with some good thump. Yeah, 18 homers and 67 games at AAA this year. So, I, I think if Westberg hits over 15 homers next year, I think he will be a, a really good value in drafts. Uh, okay, outfield. I spent I probably spent as much time trying to figure out which two outfielders I wanted to settle on as I did the rest of the positions combined. Uh, there's a lot of I think viable options, but it just I really wasn't in love with with uh, any of these guys. So who did who did you go with for outfield? So I told myself a story that Dominic Canzone, uh, somebody that Jerry Depoto traded for midseason, uh, and someone who's done. Some pretty impressive things in the upper levels of the minors, albeit at Amarillo and Reno, which are just they're hell for Diamondbacks pitching prospects and they're heaven for the hitters, right? So you have to be really careful with taking some of the things he did at those stops and projecting completely off of that. Uh, but Kansas has shown a great eye everywhere he's been, and the raw power is legit. And I think it's raw power without a bad hit tool, it might not be good but it might be good enough and i think when you look at the way this roster's built it's probably a team that has a floating dh again next year uh, teoscar hernandez is a pending free agent so if there's no guarantee that he's back uh, they've given mike ford a lot of playing time this year you know ty france is fine but not necessarily got first base that is completely locked in for next season you could see some wiggle room there if you look at the projections on france i don't i don't know if you necessarily want him to be a 500 plate appearance player anymore so all of those things could work in Canzone's favor I'm really concerned about his defense in the outfield in particular so I think you do want to hide him 
probably at first base or at DH. So I think that's where a ton of risk comes in. Uh, but I think there's enough here in this offensive profile. And, and they've been a little more aggressive with guys that were old for the level in the past. France being a good example of that, where I think this is an organization that might actually trust Canzone to play more than than most. Is this a Nando guy? This would be a Nando guy. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. I had to get one Nando guy in and, and Ken zone is that guy. Yeah, I, I see it. Um, very, just the amount of, uh, outfielders who I would expect to be kind of on the strong side of a platoon that I have interest in, but I just have that, that platoon thing sort of weighing over me is it's a long list and Ken zone definitely falls into that. Um, you know, I, I definitely I think he kind of reprises this same role and just, you know, hits kind of back half of the lineup, plays every day against righties. Um, he could get to 20 plus homers next year in that role. Yeah. I mean, you look at the last two seasons that he spent at AAA combined, basically a full season's worth of plate appearances, 32 homers, 16 steals. That's that's where the Nando love comes from, right? It's, he can be a 30-10 guy DVR. <laughs> I'd be like, well, well, like he could be like a 15 to 18 homer guy in the big side of platoon that used correctly won't hurt you in batting average. But those players have value, right? We're we're looking for deep league plays, and and there's enough that can go wrong with the rest of the depth chart where he could end up playing more than you expect him to. I think that's that's where the appeal, the the optimism for me is like there's enough things he does well and enough things the Mariners haven't done well where those lines could be at just the right point for Canzone to be that big side platoon guy there. So my first outfielder is like, I wanted to have at least one outfielder where there was some, some uh, stolen base juice and drew waters, I think is um, my favorite of the Royals outfielders for fantasy next year. As things currently stand, um, I don't know if you have a good read for that that depth chart and how that all will shake out, but he's a good defensive outfielder in both right field and center field. So if they want to keep playing Kyle Isbell in center field against righties, Waters definitely has the arm for right. If they think Isbell is more of like a fourth outfielder, maybe they move Waters to center. Um, you know, he's he's got a he's kind of figured out his. Uh, launch angle 36 percent ground ball rate this year he's 12 for 16 on the base paths in under 300 plate appearances uh hits the ball hard um i just i think he's gonna play enough that over a full season you know maybe it's 15 plus homers and 20 plus steals something like that um you know batting average not expecting him to hit like 260 or 270 but i don't think he'll kill you uh i don't know if you have any thoughts on waters or if you have any thoughts on how exactly they align the pieces in that outfield i usually guess wrong on what the royals are, are going to do <laughs> um and i even tried to give them credit for the cole reagan's trade and, and Eno told me he's like well he was actually making all those changes in texas so you can't really give him any development credit like give him credit for trading for a guy that they could plug in the rotation and basically have a maybe a top 30 starter right out of the box. But uh, as far as the outfield goes, I think they've seen enough Kyle Isbell. I, I, I've seen enough Kyle Isbell to say yeah, he's, he's a bench yeah. outfielder. Like, it's fine. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Just don't don't expect him to be 
an everyday guy against righties. Have him be the first guy off the bench if someone gets hurt. So I'd probably play Waters in center. I would let Nelson Velasquez play a lot. What do you do with Edward Olivares? Like he's the other guy that you're kind of like, have you seen enough to feel like you don't really want him in the mix as often? Or do you actually like what you see underneath? And, and like, I just don't know what to do with Olivares overall. I just, I think his, his defense is bad. Um, much worse than it should be based on his raw tools. And uh, so I, but I mean, again, like MJ Melendez's defense is bad. So it's sort of, like Olivares and uh, Melendez are different players, but to me, there's there's maybe only room for one of them, unless you just want to kind of punt your left field defense. Um, so I think I think Olivares is probably more likely to get to 400 plate appearances next year than like Isbell, for instance. But I I even contemplated bringing up MJ Melendez here just because I think everyone's going to be off of him when he doesn't have the catcher eligibility. Mm. Um, but I just think based on their actions, they, they view him as more of like a, a kind of a, a key core piece than they do these other guys. Um, but I also just don't, I mean, it's just kind of like, is he going to hit like two forty with like 20 homers and terrible defense. Like, I just don't know if you can feel that great about him playing every day. Um, but they, so far they've played him every day, even though he's been below replacement level both seasons. Um, yeah. But I guess just figuring out exactly how they're going to align that outfield would um, make a lot of this easier. Cause I, whoever is playing pretty much every day, I, I wouldn't mind having a piece of. Yeah. It's so strange that Melendez doesn't have defensive value somewhere. I, I, he's not, he doesn't seem like a bad athlete. Like you see other guys that are the lumbering mashers and you're like, okay, I, I get it. This guy just doesn't move that well. Melendez. I don't know. I think you could actually see him putting that side of the game together. Nelson Velasquez is pretty interesting because he just crushes the ball. And mm. I think they need raw power in that lineup. So I think they will take whatever defensive shortcomings he has, which might not be as bad as some of the other options might be, closer to a, just a tick below average defensively and you know maybe with a, a enough to i don't know hit 30 35 home runs in the heart of that order like that's that's pretty interesting too so i, I think with the royals it, waters makes sense because he can be good in both spots that's why i like that call and and they they sought him out they believed he was going to be an asset for them so i think he's got the upper hand over some of the guys that have been there a little bit longer because they probably are ready to turn the page on a few of these guys. And the other thing I guess you got to keep in mind too, when you're looking ahead to next season is minor league options. I'm amazed that Kyle Isbell is going to have options left next year. It feels <laughs> like he's been around forever. So you do want to look at some situations like that, where someone could get pushed off the roster or have to stick on the roster simply because they can't go down without going through waivers. Yeah. Uh, man, I, going to have to figure this out before AL labor next year. <laughs> um, Cause there's a, there's a lot of rosterable, outfielders in this this Royals team that uh, just trying yeah. to figure out who's going to get the playing time. Just roster like three of them. I'm sure it'll work out for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't really do worse than I did in the outfield this year. Um, <laughs> all right. So we're down to our final spot. One last outfielder. Where are you going to go? 
I'll go to Boston. I think William Abreu is really interesting. It's definitely um, a scouts versus numbers sort of pick where I'm just going on the number side. And I know that it could be a little crowded because Jaron Duran probably did enough this season to have a significant role. And, you know, big side platoon guys complicate depth charts in a really big way. So Abreu could just be the odd man out and not even be on the roster on opening day. But thinking about the spirit of under the radar and, and taking yeah. shots on players that are going to be available, you know, really late. Uh, the thing that's fascinating to me with Abreu James is that he got a lot better as a base dealer in the upper levels these past two seasons. And I think his sprint speed's in the 25th percentile. So <laughs> it's like he, he was doing it. He, he, he was doing it with like a high level of efficiency. And I'm not sure that's going to translate even with the rule changes and stolen bases being a lot easier to get at the big league level. So it's probably more like five to seven steals if you gave him a full season's worth of plate appearances. The question is going to come down to his power. I think he can actually get to that power consistently. That may end up looking like a pretty nice trade for Haim Bloom and the Red Sox in the long run. That was the Christian Vasquez trade that brought, uh, I think it was Abreu and Emmanuel Valdez back. At least one of those guys should have a prominent role next year. And I like what I see with Abreu. So I'm willing to say that maybe the Red Sox will be super cheap and push somebody else off the roster, like an Alex Verdugo or something. And that will open up a lot of playing time. Uh, I think the DH spot could end up floating again because Turner was there on a one-year deal, so they don't pick up his option for next year. A lot of playing times up for grabs there. The the general behavior of the Red Sox and how they build their roster has become more difficult to predict in recent years, and I think that actually favors a player like Abreu, who in off-seasons three-plus years ago, I would not have been able to even with any sort of confidence, project him to make the roster. And I think it's at least a possibility now. I love that you went with uh, a Nando guy in Canzone and then uh, an Ian Khan guy in, in Willie Abreu with your two outfield spots. Um, <laughs> perfect. Uh, I, who'd you rather have, who'd you rather have next year out of uh, Willie Abreu and Sedan Raphael? <sighs> I would rather have Abreu. I think they could end up. I think they could end up giving Rafaela more time in the minors. Like I, I think that's more likely with Abreu. You've kind of already proven to yourself he's got nothing left to do at AAA. With Rafaela, you could probably talk yourself into sending him down for a little bit to begin next season. Yeah, I almost went with Rafaela, but it just didn't feel like it. It fit the spirit of the exercise just because he's. Uh... You know, he's going to steal 40 plus bases probably when it's all said and done this year. So I just, I don't think he'll be really under the radar, even if he may open the year in the minors. Um, but my, my final pick and second outfielder is going to be Matt Walner with the Twins. Um, they've tried him a little bit against lefties this year, it's gone very poorly. So, I don't expect him to be an everyday guy. So he just kind of falls into that bin of you're hoping for a strong side platoon all season. But um, I just think there's, there's easy 30 plus Homer potential here. Uh, He's one of those guys who makes really good swing decisions. He just doesn't make a ton of contact. You know, he's, he's really swinging for the fences when he does swing. Um, But a 50% fly ball rate, so, I mean, I think he's – as long as he's given, you know, 500 plate appearances, I think 30 homers is is happening next year. 
uh batting average probably below 240 but hopefully above like 225 so um as long as you kind of have the you have it in your head that walner is going to hurt your batting average um but hopefully not tank your batting average i think he's going to be a worthwhile pick as kind of a reserve outfielder just kind of a middle rounds guy in drafting holds yeah no questions about that power right i mean it's ridiculous in terms of the quality of contact uh puts the ball in the air a ton like has a plan executes that plan really well and i think it's a 33 percent k rate is acceptable for a player with as much power as matt walner has it's not the prototype like you wouldn't want a roster full of guys like this but he can play and he can play a lot in minnesota so I like that call for some cheap pop. Yeah, and that that's why you uh, you hammer batting average early so that you can have one or two guys like that uh, on your roster all season. Um, all right, Derek, man, this has been great. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, do you want to let people know what, what you got going on? Yeah, so uh, rates and barrels still running here through the end of the season. I'm actually on paternity leave for – the rest of this month at the beginning of October, but uh, a lot to look forward to. Off-season episodes will have at least one a week throughout most of October, November, and, and December. And, of course, draft season, it starts earlier and earlier every year, so be sure to check that out. Um, so Rates and Barrels and the Athletic Baseball Show, really everywhere uh, everywhere I am in terms of, of weekly shows. And then, of course, on Twitter or X, I'm at Derek Van Riper, although I don't spend a lot of time there anymore, James. I just, uh, I don't know. I just, I found my life is better when I'm not on that platform. <laughs> yeah it's uh there's not much happening there uh <laughs> yeah not, or not not much happening not there much that, I, that i feel the need to to check in on but uh yeah um again thanks for for stopping by man really appreciate it and uh hope to see you soon yeah take care When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.